Well, it's my pleasure to be able to talk about this incredible comedy film, in my opinion, called The Green Man from 1956. This film is directed by Robert Day and Basil Dearden. It's written by the incredible comedy team of Frank Launder and Sidney Gilliatt, who have made other wonderful movies, such as The Lady Vanishes and Night Train to Munich, amongst many others. This film is a, a real delightful comedy noir movie, British comedy noir, and uh, Alistair Sim would be maybe the most outstanding name of the group, who is just incredible. His role is somebody who sort of shows a very, very charming personality to a very, very uh, deadly profession, <laughs> so to speak, in this movie. Other fantastic actors in this are George Cole, Terry Thomas, Jill Adams, Raymond Huntley, Colin Gordon, and Avril Angers, to name a few. This is a very fast-paced movie. At some points, zany comedy, and I've had a chance to see this movie a few times. And it's, even though it, it's as a fast-paced zany comedy, it's actually extremely well thought out. It gets a little bit better every time, catching up on new nuances the, that, I'll, that I'll see in it. Um, it's only about 79 minutes or so. It's an amazing, amazing uh, comedic work of art, in my opinion. One funny footnote is, is that uh, after watching this movie, I, I always have a bit of a chuckle when I look at the vacuum cleaner. And I think if, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't had a chance to see the movie, you will know <laughs> when it's over. Many, many clever uses of verbal dialogue. The, the dialogue is particularly super in this movie, as well as expressions and reactions and charming wit coming from verbal and behavioral cues. And in my opinion, it truly does it to probably as good of a level as it could be. And I really hope that you get a chance to either revisit this movie and enjoy it a lot, or if you haven't seen it, to, to enjoy it to a very high amount. And and to know that definitely is a good chance that upon uh, many viewings of it, that you'll might enjoy it more and more. Very, very happy that we have on Classic Movie Reviews, The Green Man from 1956 with the wonderful and incredible Alistair Sim. Well, that was the opening music to The Green Man, released in 1956 by Grenadier Films Limited and distributed by British Lion Films in the UK and uh, Distributors Corporation of America in the United States. Uh, it stars Alastair Sim, who we love as Ebenezer Scrooge in Christmas Carol, and it's directed by Robert Day. And it says there's an uncredited director for Basil Dearden. I'm not sure what role he played in the production. I have the background on that when we, if you want me to go into that when we get there. Definitely. All right. And it also stars George Cole, Terry Thomas, and Jill Adams. And oh, and Raymond Huntley as Sir Gregory Upshot. <laughs> yes. Don't forget Sir Gregory. Colin Gordon played a pretty funny part too. Reginald Willoughby Cruft. <laughs> he kind of had a meltdown at the end of the movie. <laughs> I love the names 
I love the names of these characters. This is the fourth and the last of our movies in our UK film festival, and this was also suggested by Arthur. Thank you, Arthur, for that introduction to the film and for recommending this. I'd never heard of it, and it's hard to find. It's hard. You can't really get it on any streaming services. We, I think we talked about this before. We had to go out and actually buy a physical copy of the movie. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews. And you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net. And on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews and sign up for one of our tiers. And that will help support the show. And you get extra bonus content and some behind-the-scenes stuff. So... Check that out. And, and I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend, where we're back to summer weather. We're going to have 80s and 90s uh, degrees Fahrenheit this weekend. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, where it's going to be uh, really hot this weekend as well. Welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and The Green Man, which uh, I've seen uh, probably three or four times. When I first heard the title way back several years ago, I thought it was about a person not a hotel. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's an odd name. I wonder if there really is. I never looked this up. I wonder if there really is a hotel named The Green Man. It totally seems like a hotel name. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Ah, school days. The happiest days of one's life. I was a carefree, innocent lad in those far-off times. Only one thing clouded my youthful spirits. My abominable headmaster. Really, all I did was to put an electric charge in his fountain pen and an explosive in the ink pot. I honestly only intended to humiliate him. However, that got rid of him, and it also disposed of any doubts I may have had about my true vocation. Connoisseurs will no doubt recall my first triumph, the affair of Alfred Hagenheim. It is my proud privilege, gentlemen, to announce a dividend of 150% on the ordinary share. from strength to strength. But I always applied one rigid principle. I only accepted assignments against the so-called great, those overblown balloons who just cry out to be popped. I was glad to offer myself as a humble pin at a reasonable price. Everyone blamed the referee, of course. In fact, the more self-important my victims were, the greater my joy, so to speak, in making the punishment fit the crime. And in 1939, I achieved my supreme masterpiece. For the duration of the war, I retired. The competition was too fierce. I became a clockmaker, happily restoring antique clocks. 
Until one day, through an exiled friend from the Levant, I obtained what promised to be a most exhilarating assignment. Sir Gregory Upshot Bart, merchant, banker, and politician. Thanks to Arthur, I love this film uh, because it has Alastair Sim in it, and I've uh, got a preliminary list of uh, films that we should review of Alastair Sim. We'll have his own film festival. Ooh, I like that idea. If we can find the film, sometimes they're really hard to find. He did over 50 films. There's a series, and it's uh, one of the one of them is The Bells of St. Trinian's. And it's, it's, it's a set of four films about this school for uh, women that is, 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 is on the borderline of being uncredited or discredited or closed <laughs> or out of money. Oh, geez. And he's, he's at the heart of the story, but he's a favorite of mine. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the uh, directors, Robert Day, and then an uncredited part to Basil uh, Dearden. I, Robert, this was Robert Day's, I think, first film as a director that he did as a director. And I think they brought Basil Dearden in to help pull it together because it wasn't coming together within the schedule and budget. And then I dug a little further and I found that Robert Day, who was born and and worked in the UK for a number of years, lived and died on Bainbridge Island. Oh, really? At the age of 94. So he he decided he wanted to come to the Northwest. Interesting. So that's not too far from here. No, no, not at all. He probably liked the the, uh, bakery there on uh, Front Street. <laughs> yeah, probably. So uh, this, is a, this is an excellent movie with a lot of <laughs> a lot of really excellent British character actors. Oh, yeah. It's hard to know where to begin. It felt like a prototype for a Monty Python uh, movie in some ways. Oh, and, and, and others <laughs> like Carry On Nurse and, and a, a, the whole group about physicians. I forget the name of them now. But uh, George. So I had, a, I had a I have a question for you. Yes. Do you think it's a Do you think it's a black comedy, or do you think it's a farce? How would you categorize this? And I have a definition of each. So hang on here, I'll tell oh, you. Oh, okay. So a farce is defined as a comic dramatic work using buffoonery and horseplay, and typically including crude characterizations and re- and ludicrously improbable situations. That's a farce. And then black comedy is a film, play, or other work that deals with tragic or distressing subject matter in a humorous way. So what, what do you think this movie is? One, oh, or, or something else? Based on those two definitions, I would put this movie in as a farce. <laughs> yeah, me too. We did another one uh, a few podcasts back that was a black comedy. Kind Hearts and Courts. Oh, yeah, yeah. To me, that's more, of a, that's more of a black comedy, whereas yes. this to me is more of a farce. Yes. Yeah. There's a there's a real difference between the two, and, and that's exactly the the line that they cross in this one. Just being at times nonsensical. I mean, yeah, Terry Thomas alone. Buffoonery is the <laughs> buffoonery. Well, one of the one of the characters, Terry Thomas, he made a career out of. And I wrote this down. He made a career out of playing upper class cads and. Uh, uh, buffoons and bounders. I love these uh, bounders. <clears throat> People that that just kind of float in and out, and it's all about them. 
He, mm-hmm. He's hilarious. Wasn't he in? Uh, he was in another movie that we reviewed. Was it? Um, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, he's running around with playing him. that same, same kind of character. Yep. Yeah, he's in a lot of those. He's in a Jack Lemmon comedy, How to Murder Your Wife. He's playing the same. Oh, he 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 played that part several times. I was reading about him. Um, he did. I think he did over a hundred television programs. Wow. He's not quite Benny Hill. Remember Benny Hill? No, no. He's he's not. He's no, more that, sophisticated. That's some real farce. Yeah. He's, that's that's the <laughs> ultimate farce. Yeah. He's a more sophisticated cad. What a cad. So he's really great and. Uh, George Cole, if I'm not mistaken, had a limited career as a vacuum salesman. <laughs> in the movie, yeah. In the movie. But yeah, I, I love that. I love that line that he has when he's uh, going to show off the vacuum cleaner, and he says, "This reminds me of the classic story, Mr. Postock, of the vacuum cleaner salesman who smothered a new carpet with soot, and then actually found there was no electricity laid on." <laughs> Mr. Bostock, why didn't you tell me there was no ele- Mr. Bostock? And then he does exactly the same thing. <laughs> why didn't you tell me there was no electricity? It's just, it's, it's a farce. It's got to be in that case. Yeah. So the story is really about our freelance, a freelance bumbling assassin Hawkins, played by uh, Alastair Sim, and he just can't seem to get much right. He he does his work through bombs. How has he How has he escaped capture this long and and not blown himself up too? It's like <laughs> that first bomb that he builds to blow up. He he didn't expect his bomb, I guess, to be as big as it was because. <laughs> He just wanted to like kind of joke around with his teacher, but then his teacher got blown up. I know, <laughs> and he's so sort of nonchalant about it. Like, well, that started my long career. <laughs> <laughs> and they go through this montage of these ridiculous bombs that he's built and blown up people. He's he's quite a ladies' man when he tries to smooth talk uh, Sir Gregory Upshot's spinster secretary to find out more about where. Sir Gregory's going to be because I think the plot calls for our bumbling bomber to oft Sir Gregory. <laughs> Dear Marigold, spinning dizzily from my masterful approach, had already told me that Sir Gregory was slipping off that weekend to a hotel called the Green Man at Newcliffe, and that he would not be unaccompanied. It only remained for me to garner the last minute details. It's an engagement ring. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, permit me, my dear. Oh, oh, I can hardly believe it. Just think, in three weeks' time, I shall be Mrs. Hastings. Mrs. Harry Hastings? <laughs> she had a sharp eye for scandal, and I had no difficulty at all in obtaining the final details of Sir Gregory's movements from then until his departure for the Green Man. 
I've spotted her. Which one? The fourth and the left. That's right. That's June. How did you get? I'd know Sir Gregory's type anywhere. And he's picking her up in Tooting on his way down there. Outside Woolworth at seven. Oh, no, not mm. outside Woolworth at <laughs> seven. <laughs> How on earth do you find out these things? Well, I can't shut my eyes and ears to everything, can I? Sir Gregory's back. I'll have to go. Yeah, was that played by Avril Ang- Angers? The uh, the uh, spinster Angers. secretary, Marigold. Was that Marigold? Yes, I believe so. She was funny. They had a they had a funny uh, little courtship going on there. Yeah. And he was he he would he could just kind of turn on the charm when he wanted to. So he was he was a bit of a sociopath for sure. Oh, a bumbling sociopath. Yeah, as we find out. But she finds she finds out that something's going on that is not on the up and up because he's pumping her for information where about where Sir Gregory Upshot's going to be and he takes some notes down on a piece of paper without realizing that there's a sheet of transfer paper underneath it and she sees his notes and she's like what? calls him up and and he's in the middle of like total chaos at his house like the police <laughs> Chief is showing up to play chess. He's got his bomb maker out in the back building a bomb. He's trying to figure out what's going on with the neighbor next door. It's just total chaos. <laughs> I, how many... And he's trying to smooth it over with her. Harry! Now then, my dear. I want you to tell me why you were making notes about about Sir Gregory's movements tonight. What? What was that, my love? I, I don't quite follow. There happened to be a a loose carbon amongst the typing paper, and it came through. What? Came through? Uh, one moment, my heart, till I... Harry! Harry, tell me! Harry! Yes, my love, now, uh, what were you saying? I've got the copy in my hand now. Yes, so have have you really? I, I can't help thinking, ever since we first met... You've been pumping me about, Sir Gregory. Now, listen, my angel heart, you're being fanciful. Why on earth should I want to do a thing like that? It's been happening ever since that first day in St. James's Park, when my breadcrumbs ran out. Light of my heart, how can you say a thing like that, and in a tone like that? I was delighted when your breadcrumbs ran out, because it gave me an opportunity of talking to you, Marigold. Then why did you make those notes about Sir Gregory? There is an explanation. Hmm? But don't you see, I'd much rather believe you than the, than go to the police. The police? You must be joking, Marigold, and not in the best of taste. What can our little courtship have to do with the London constabulary? Harry, I've got to see you. I'm coming down to see you. Yes, do that, do that, my love, and I'll set your fears at rest, shall we say, lunch tomorrow. I, I can't wait. I just couldn't rest. I'm leaving at once. The house is Windy Ridge, isn't it? Yes, yes, Windy Ridge, but not. Marigold? How many times has that plot device been used where the note's made on a pad and then later it's discovered by someone else? That has to have oh, yeah, been totally. in about 400 movies. Oh, totally. But and, and also the whole, the whole setup of like three or four different things going on that the protagonist has to juggle without dropping the ball because yeah i love how the police chief is there 
while he's also planning this murder, you know. <laughs> and then I think the uh, the uh, secretary comes to confront him. Right. Uh, well, the 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 setup continues to get more convoluted because uh, <laughs> Hawkins' uh, housekeeper has scheduled a, a vacuum cleaner to a salesman to come out and show her this new vacuum. And but then Hawkins lets her go early so that he can kind of like get the house cleared out. But and then at the same time, uh, Marigold is like storming her way out to his house to confront Hawkins about this note. And so Hawkins has the brilliant idea of switching the the address plates, which were funny because it was just the houses had names. They didn't have numbers. They had names. And so they switched the nameplates of the two houses with his neighbor so that Marigold would go to the neighbor's house. And then that also confuses the the car, vacuum salesman because he thinks that's the house he should be going to. So when she shows up and Marigold's there, it's like... <laughs> and, uh, but Marigold, actually, he never he never saw Marigold, right? Because no, the assi- in between all that happening, the assistant got to her. Yes, the assistant... Uh, uh, attacks her and feels that he's uh, killed her. So he he hides the body next door. That was, I have a question about that. That was pretty macabre. Like, so do you think that the plan was just to like knock her out and, and just uh, get her out of the way? Or do you think that the plan all along was to kill her? Oh, I think the way this crew works, they just wanted to knock her out. But it didn't turn out that way. Well, and actually, she she didn't die though, right? She she woke up and so right. Okay, I think that they just didn't want to knock her out, and then they shoved her into the piano. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why the piano of all the places? <sighs> it, it, you know, if you, if you had to recount that story like you just did, like two more times, you could drive yourself crazy because there's so many moving. I feel parts. like I, I still I still miss some things. It was it was total chaos going on, and the movie moves so fast. If you're not if you're not paying attention, you've missed the fact that several different things have happened. Oh yeah. Oh, so the the vacuum cleaner salesman. Uh, let's see. His name is Blake. Let's see. William Blake. William Blake. <laughs> he shows up to do the demonstration. And nobody, nobody's there, and the house looks like it's just being moved into or worked on. And then he's he's on the floor doing something, and then Jill Adams shows up, and is totally shocked when he see when she sees uh, William Blake there. Oh, who are you? What are you doing here? I represent the little wizard of the carpet. I- you asked me to call, six o'clock, remember? I did. You are Mrs. Bostock, aren't you? No. Oh, then you wouldn't know. I made an appointment with Mrs. Bostock. Who's Mrs. Bostock? Don't you know? I've never heard of her in my life. Well, she asked me to call and demonstrate a vacuum cleaner. I'm afraid you've come to the wrong house. But I took down the address, Winderidge. This is Appleby. <laughs> I see what's happened. You've come to the wrong house. <laughs> don't be silly. Do you think I don't know my own house? Your house? Of course. Are you sure? I mean, all the houses in this road are pretty much alike. Look here, I live here. At least I shall start doing so next month. This is our furniture, our carpets. Oh! Oh! Are you responsible for this? Well, only indirectly. You see, I was going to give a demonstration, but there was no electricity. You've ruined my house, 
right. Oh, that'll be perfectly all right. But are you sure? I mean, absolutely sure. I'm certain I saw Windy Ridge. That's easily settled. The name's hanging over the door. Yes, I noticed it as I came in. Exactly. Appleby. <laughs> Apart from the fact that the customer was always right, I very much dislike having to prove a lady wrong, especially on so short an acquaintance. And Jill Adams plays Anne Vincent, and yeah, she was she was great. I, she really lit up the screen whenever she was on. She's very uh, engaging, kind of an actor. I thought it was rather clever when his fiance finds her on the floor in her underwear. Again, in a, yeah. innocently entangled with the with the vacuum cleaner vacuum sales. sales. Yeah. And Reginald, and what on earth are you doing under the bed? Oh, Reginald, you're just in time. Just in time? What are you talking about? <laughs> May I explain, sir? Anne, what the devil's all this? Who is this fellow and what are you doing under the bed with him? Well, I came here to demonstrate a vacuum cleaner. Under the bed? You, you, well, we have attachments to cover that. We were only hiding, Reginald. From me? No, him. Who? Mr. Bostock. Yeah, not that he really is Mr. Bostock, of course. Because it's the wrong house. That's right. But whoever it was, we think he did it. Did what? Have you gone out of your mind? Reginald, there's been a murder. Murder? Where? Here, we think. Oh, rot. But how can you say that when you haven't even heard his story? Anne, please, exactly what is your story now? Uh, well, this is my fiancé, Reginald yes. Willoughby-Craft. I don't know your name. William Blake, how do you do? How do you do? I'm Anne Vincent. How do you do? How'd well, you do? well, we believe the name of this house has been changed with that of Windy Ridge to decoy the victim here, hence the blood. Blood? Where? Downstairs, Downstairs on, on the, the carpet. carpet. It's not what it looks like. There's been a murder. <laughs> <laughs> the body's around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And the fiance is uh, played by Colin Gordon, and that's Reginald Willoughby Cruft. <laughs> so he's not believing that things are on the up and up. Well, and, um, then uh, and the, he walks in on them a couple different times. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing's going on. She's in her underwear. It's totally fine. I mean, yeah. How often has that happened? <laughs> Never in my case. But anyway, uh, then uh, the corpse comes to life. And then before collapsing again, says that... Quick, get some brandy. We haven't any. Or whiskey, anything. I is she the woman? She must be. Hurry up. There's only a drop. It's all right, quickly. Is she going to be all right? I think so. She's coming round. It's all right, it's all right. You're quite safe now. Ask her how she got in the piano. Shh. <laughs> got to stop them. Who? Sir Gregory. I must warn him. Sir Gregory? Upshot. I work for him. Time. What's the time? He's going to go off at 10.28. What is? They're going to kill him. I heard them say 10.28. It's going to go off at 10.28. What's going off at 10.28? To return home. A happy man. Perhaps to retire. Disappear this time, finally, from the public scene. Here, try, try, try and pull yourself together. Here you are. We'll send for the police. It's too late. You've got to warn him. He's gone to the coast. He's using another name. Yeah, where, where has he gone? To the, the green man. The green man, yes. Green man at, at New. 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 New what? No. Oh, she's gone right off now. 
Have you any coffee? Yes. Well, make some, good and strong. And that kind of gets uh, William Blake and Anne Vincent uh, all worked up because now they feel like they've got to go save this guy, Sir Gregory Upshot. They swing into action. <laughs> <laughs> and then meanwhile, uh, over in the in Hawkins' house... <laughs> <laughs> the William Blake runs runs next door and is like all saying that there's been a murder next door and, and Hawkins is like oh really <laughs> he's trying to play it off like he doesn't know he's like totally and innocent he, he says he's he's gonna call the police but then cuts the phone line that seemed rather dramatic to actually cut the phone line why couldn't you just like push down on the receiver button but remember he was a bumbler yeah, he, was, he doesn't I don't feel like he was all that smart. He doesn't get everything. I'm surprised he survived his first case. Oh, seriously. Cuz he he was a little short on the on the horsepower. So now we've got uh, Hawkins who's realizing that this vacuum salesman could be a problem and then they need to deal with him. And and then they but they also all need to get out to the green man because they need <laughs> Because <laughs> that's where that's where uh, Sir Gregory Upshot is going to be spending the night with his uh, his mistress. Yeah, this this setup is like saying all this out loud just sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we we have uh, Terry Thomas enter the picture as he drives up in his wonderful. I think it was an MG. How's my beautiful girl? I don't miss giving you up. Had a lot of trouble getting away. What do you think of her? Smashing little barrel, eh? Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, I uh, I told the memsard I was taking it out of Walter Armanet's to share a customer. Oh, did she believe you? I hardly say, you know, she's been behaving very mysteriously just lately. Why, how do you mean? Well, you know, pools of silence broken only by the odd vitriolic ripple. Well, after all, Charlie, you have been married for 15 years, haven't you? Yeah, I know, Lily, but this is different. You know, she keeps on making cryptic remarks and then going into a huddle with her mum. No, I shouldn't take any notice of her. Oh, you know what it is. Undertones, always undertones. Now, I can't put my finger on it, but I've got a queer idea I'm being followed. Oh, Charlie, you're imagining things. Maybe. I've given you the single room on the top floor. Yes, sir. You're making things easier for yourself, aren't you? Charlie, you are dreadful. Come on, give us a kiss. Huh? Oh, hello, girls. How are you? All right? Yeah, that little convertible was so cool. He was very proud of it, too. He was showing it off. Charles Botflower. I mean, where do these names come from? <laughs> and he's a bit of a cad. So there's a there's a shock. So now we're out at the Green Man, and Hawkins is there checking in, and he's got this suitcase that he doesn't want anybody to touch because it's this trick suitcase where he can release <laughs> this radio from the bottom of it that is also a bomb and it's a replica of a radio that's in the common room of the green man hotel. And he walks into that common room and he's, he's really thrown off by the fact that there's a live uh, qu- qu- a trio of musicians there. <laughs> yes. Cause I think that wasn't part of his plan. <laughs> as much as these are. Right? Yeah. He needs, he needs a uh, Reg, uh, Sir Gregory Upshot and uh, to be in the common room listening to the speech that he's gonna that's gonna be broadcast on the radio later. That's kind of the setup and why it's got to be a radio. And so there's this whole thing with Hawkins and the the trio of him trying to get them out of the room and get them drunk and 
And meanwhile, the, our famous uh, vacuum salesman Blake and and Anne are, are uh, they arrive. And, and they're all in a panic trying to tell the owner of the hotel that they've got to evacuate because there's somebody who's going to blow up the hotel. And they sound like total crazy people, too. Landlord, this calls for immediate action. I've located Sir Gregory Upshot staying here under the name of Charles Bortflower. What name? Bortflower. I see. Look, I, I know this is going to sound absolutely incredible to you, but I believe an attempt is going to be made to assassinate him here tonight. I see. They planted some kind of bomb here. It's expected to go up at 1028. I see. No, don't, don't keep saying I see. Can't you understand? Everyone's in mortal danger. You've got to evacuate the entire hotel now. I don't know how many you've had, but one thing I do know, you've never had them here. But it's going off. It's true. Let me put it in terms even you can understand. Do you want to lose your pub? I don't want to lose my license. No. I'm well, a broad-minded man. Yes, I But I'm not very partial to people who can't hold their liquor, especially when they bought it elsewhere. But you don't understand. That... What are we going to do now? I... Oh. Sir. Just a minute, sir. You simply must have a word with the landlord and explain that everyone else must clear out, too. I beg your pardon? He refuses to believe that you're Sir Gregory. Sir who? Sir Gregory Upshot. Who is? You are. Aren't you? What do you mean? I'm Charlie Bortflower. I always have been. Oh, dear. I do believe he is. And they mistake Terry Thomas's character for Sir Gregory Upshot, so then uh, Charles Bortflower is all, like... Does she know? How do you know? Whose side are you on? <laughs> it's, it's a, it gets a little slapstick going oh, totally. when they're running around uh, after each other in the and, lobby and in the other rooms. And then that poor that that woman that was with Sir Gregory Upshot, she she was she looked like she was about twenty years old. She was so nervous about being there, and he was so slimy. He was just sort of like, "Oh, it's fine." It, it was almost like I expected him to say. I bring all my mistresses here. It's fine. <laughs> Her name is Eileen Moore. And at the time this film was made, she was married to uh, George Cole, the Blake character, in real life. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of slapstick that happens in this section of the movie where uh, Anne and William convinced... Uh, Charles and the two owners of the hotel to go hide out in the basement of the hotel. And then <laughs> they're like getting, and then even Charles is like, what is going on? This is, this seems really weird. Like this is all fishy. I'm, I'm getting out of here. And the two owners are fed up with them. And so Anne and William seem kind of despondent. Like, well, do we have the right hotel? There's another green man hotel. Maybe it's that hotel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Hawkins is trying to like, arrange everything and everybody so that uh that they can that he can set this bomb off in the common room and without blowing up everybody they he just wants to blow up <laughs> sir gregory upshot yeah right away there's a problem with that bomb won't be very discriminating in terms of who no, it kills the plant this plan is so convoluted there's got to be about a hundred <laughs> other ways that he could have done this where that's what makes it simpler. funny uh, and, 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 and then, Sim, Alistair Simthroth, this is just perfect as the bumbler. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's he's definitely the best best part of the movie for me. He he plays it off so well with the way that he's schmoozing Marigold. And I know. He, he's, he looks so confused when he's at the hotel because he's just trying to, you know, get this plan to come together. I, I don't know. He was great. And I really, I also really liked the interaction of George Cole and and Jill Adams. 
I thought they played off each other really well. And then Terry Thomas, I mean, he's he's just fantastic. He's always predictable. Yeah, his, you know what you're going to get when you see him. Yeah. I, I, as we talk about the plot and, and all the moving parts and all the characters, I can kind of see why the director, Robert Day, this was his first film. He probably had all this film and he kind of threw up his hands and said, I need help. And that's probably when they uh, brought in well, Basil Dearden. This is a... This is a tough one, uh, I would think, as a first outing for oh, a movie director. Cause no kidding. Just keeping all the scenes straight and like who's doing what and where and when, it, it would be a lot. I mean, I had like I think one of the, one of my one of the things about this movie that was not as good for me was just how quickly everything moved in in sort of this frenetic pace where I it just what's happening now? Where are we? What's going on? And I, I got a little bit, it's not so much that I got lost. It's just that I didn't feel as engaged with the story at certain parts because it just felt like it was like very, very quickly moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. I think that's an observation that works for me. And it, it's the same feeling I had when I was watching It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. So many characters yeah. and so many different plot themes and so much going on. It's like, there's really no core to it. It's for a mad, 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 mad world. There's just so many people involved. It's hard to get engaged in it. And and I, one thing I wish that they had done a little bit more of at the beginning of the movie uh, was develop Hawkins' character a little bit more because we get all we really get for him is that he's this sort of unwitting, bumbling assassin. But we have no sense of who he is as a person or like... And until we sort of get to meet him a little bit more at, at his house as he's trying to plan this next assassination. I think Alistair Sim does an awesome job with what he's got, but it's, it, it just still feels like a very sort of flat character to me. Well, I, I created my own backstory for him because it wasn't <laughs> okay. in the film. So I, in, my, in my backstory, uh, our bumbling bomber was a chemistry professor at a local university. And he got on the outs with the faculty because he kept blowing up things in the lab and making a, a, a mess of things. So they dismissed him. And then he had to figure out, well, what can I do to make a living? I, I can't, you know, I can't just be on I'm relief. I'm blowing things up. <laughs> I, so I'm going, to move into the, I'm going to move into the realm of becoming an assassin and I'll use my expertise in bomb making. I mean, that yeah. makes as much sense as anything else. I mean, it works for me. I, I... <laughs> anyway, I, there was a part of me was... that the way they introduced him is like I think he kind of enjoys this work too. He he gets he likes the thrill of it. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> and there's a little bit of that storytelling that we see in the uh, in the black comedy that we saw, Kind Hearts and Coronet, where he's telling his story like, and then I did this, and then I took care well, of that. Well, that's the thing and... about Kind Hearts and Coronets was like you that you totally got his backstory. You totally got yeah, like, oh yeah, why he was doing what he was doing, and we spent so much time with him. And to me, that movie, with it, all of its flaws that we talked about in our episode, um, just does a, a much better job of making you care about the characters to me this felt like a, an episode of faulty towers in some ways <laughs> <laughs> well i i wanted to mention george cole uh because he, he was he spent 75 years in the industry in movies and television and an obscure fact i found or ran across it was obscure to me anyway he was in the movie cleopatra from 1963 
the Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, Rex Harrison extravaganza that was huge and everybody wanted to see that in 1963. He played Flavius, which is more of a dramatic uh, part, but a very good actor. He made, he made let's see, what is it? He had made 60 well, films. He was also... He was also in the A Christmas Carol, the one that we watched yes. with uh, Alistair Sims. He played young Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes. So uh, it, it's a fun movie, but you're right. It, it All we needed to have enter stage left was Benny Hill. Yeah, with that music that plays and like some, some people chasing him, you know. It was like... I, I did like the way I did kind of like the way it ended though, where they finally did figure out where the bomb was and they threw it out the window and then yes. it blew up and and it was like every, the look on everybody's face is like oh there really was a bomb oh my gosh just seconds before then, it explodes and then and then my favorite one of my, another one of my favorite parts of the movie was when Anne and William were in the car together driving back and then. Reginald Willoughby Cruft came on the radio to read his poetry. I didn't have time to tell you. Reginald ran up at the hotel. He was very, very angry. You're pretty near to marriage, aren't you? Yes. Have they called the bands yet? Once. One up and two to play, eh? This is the BBC Home Service. Five minutes of free verse. We can do without that. Here is Reginald Willoughby Cruft, who will read a group of poems by Milton Boyle entitled Vicious Cycle. Her beauty has a kind of ugliness, a strangulated loveliness, compressing the jugular of my sensitivity as ivy tourniquets trunk of tree, turning the arboreal royalty into beanpole servitors, burying the berries in a fruitless operation so that the name of her, Anne, Anne, asininely monosyllabic, the mere label she goes by, Yet pulsing with drumbeat, and 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 I can't go on. Listen to me wherever you are. You can go to your blasted vacuum cleaner. I'm through, 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 through. We must apologize to listeners for a slight technical hitch. And that brings us to the end of broadcasting for tonight. Good night, everybody. Good night. But then had like a mental breakdown on air. <laughs> <laughs> And then Anne and William kiss at the end. The music comes up and they fade away. But another thing I didn't really understand was, okay, so the bomb goes off and Hawkins escapes and gets in his car and he's driving away. And then he runs into his assistant and they crash their cars together. But then as they get into his assistant's car to try to get away, the police show up. And I wasn't sure, like, how they knew it was him that had done the bomb. I don't, I don't know that I picked up on that or I missed it, because to me it felt like he would have been able to get away. Uh, maybe, yeah. Well, maybe, the, maybe in the uh, the pursuit the police had, they they had discovered that he was involved when they found that they'd been looking around for the assistant. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I think some of that may have been left yeah. on the cutting room floor, or we yeah. we missed it because there was so much going on. I probably have to watch it again to, to pick up on it. It's probably in there, but it was, again, it was like moving so fast. <laughs> I, was like, 
I think they yeah. I think they learned about his his uh, work through his assistant somehow, and they were trailing because the assistant. Maybe, yeah, yeah, I <clears> bet <throat> that's probably what it was. Oh, because the assistant was out there going to bury the he was out there to bury the woman, but then she she wasn't in the trunk anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> she, she'd had a bad day. She really did. Or a bad yeah. weekend. She thought she was in love with Hawkins, but it turned out to be not so. Well, how did you view this as a rating? Uh, the parts that I liked, I really, really liked. And then there were parts that I just either just didn't care that much about or just kind of didn't understand. So I gave it an 8. I felt like it was a little bit higher than a 7, but not, not a 9 or a 10. I gave it an 8 as well. Although I always give a 10 to Alistair Sim. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll give his performance a 10. <laughs> and, I'll give Jill Adams and William Blake's... Uh, I'll give, it, yeah, Jill Adams and George Cole's performance a 10. I thought they were awesome. Our next film is uh, My Favorite Brunette with Bob Hope and Dorothy L'Amour. And it's going to have some of the same pace and, and, and plot lines as this one when you see it. It, it, moves, it moves a little slower, but it's, it's got that same feel to it. Although he's not a bomber, he's 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 trying to be a detective. Oh, okay. Emphasis on the word trying. Trying. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, it's a monster party, which should be pretty different and fun to watch. That looks great. I have not seen that. What are they? Is that called claymation? Um, no, it's it's not claymation. It, well, it is stop motion animation, but it's not clay. It's these little puppets that they have, like these armatures in them, and they move them around, but. It's the same kind of a technique as claymation. I'm looking forward to that. I I, I do want to loop back and again thank Arthur Arthur for selecting these four films because they really cover a, a wide range of British films, all of which are outstanding. And you know, in their own right, and we we've given them all good ratings, some higher than others. But I enjoyed all four of them. Yeah, I like the variety of the films, and it was it was pretty fun to end on a comedy like this. And there were some there were some great comedic scenes in this movie. Just uh, I think I think my favorite little section of the movie is in the house when Hawkins is trying to juggle the police chief, his assistant slash bomb maker, and uh, the fact that his girlfriend's coming over. <laughs> oh, and the housekeeper, and the, the housekeeper. <laughs> A lot of stress. You know, it's not easy being yeah, an assassin. Was, that whole that whole setup was great. He didn't have the souvenir of our assassin in the uh, ja- the day of the jackal. Let's just say oh, that. Gosh, no. no, no, not even not even in the same <laughs> universe. <laughs> he was in the rookie league. All right. Well, that was our review of the Green Man. And yes, thank you, Arthur, for your suggestions and for joining us on the show. We appreciate it. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And in Los Angeles, it's Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. And that brings us to the end of broadcasting for tonight. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.